Welcome to Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories, a podcast powered by ASICS. I'm Tegan Nash, and this is a show for anyone and everyone on a mission to improve their health physically and mentally. My guest today is not your conventional ninja warrior. In fact, he's not conventional in most respects. My guest is a Navy veteran who continues to overcome some pretty hefty odds in his pursuit of a sound mind in a sound body. Mark Daniels is an athlete who has defied conventional wisdom to pursue a sporting career. I chatted to Mark about the terrible night his life was so dramatically changed and how he keeps pushing himself to reach new heights as he sets himself some pretty ambitious goals. Apologies in advance for the quality of the audio. The remote link just was not our friend. But here is my chat with the ever so remarkable Mark Daniels. Mark Daniels, thank you so much for joining me. Now, I have been trying to put into words uh, sort of an introduction for you, but really all I have is Mark Daniels, the meaning of inspiration. Uh, I mean, thank you for having me. Um, look, I wouldn't say I'm inspiration, um, but yeah, I think I definitely have people to question what is possible. Yeah. And can you just share with us, just to kick things off, a little bit about, you know, your story? You know, you had a pretty horrific accident because of the negligence of another driver. Can you share that story for us? Yeah, no problem. Um, so like most kids grew up pretty normal and had a good childhood. Grew up in Brisbane. I uh, actually was born in England and then moved to Brisbane in 2001. Two brothers, mum, dad, just your normal everyday life. But I wanted more out of life. I wanted to see what I could do, travel the world, had all these young dreams and aspirations. Uh, so I joined the Navy in 2012. In the Navy, I got to travel the world. I was a marine technician and it was a pretty great job for a young single person. Going to all these countries, you got to see some really cool things, see sites you wouldn't normally get to see. It was December 2015, and we had just returned home from a four and a half month deployment. We'd been home for three days, and we were about to wrap up for the year where we were getting a month's leave after a pretty hard deployment. So we're looking forward to some rest, going home to see my brothers in Brisbane. And I was riding my motorbike home from work. I stopped off at a mate's place to catch up with him, his wife, and his daughter, who I hadn't seen since I deployed. And yeah, I left his place at 8.30 at night. And then at 8.32, I was hit by a distracted driver. Mm. Um, the impact was 70 k's an hour from each way. He hadn't seen my motorbike and he turned across my lane. My injuries were a broken neck, break, 11 broken ribs, punctured lung, ruptured kidney. My heart was grazed on my rib cage, broken right hand, all fractured through my femur, uh, split femoral artery. Um, so that was actually bleeding out on the scene. My fib and tib were just completely destroyed on my right leg, uh, which was then amputated below the knee, which then later on was gone to above the knee. And yeah, at 22 years of age, I found out what it was like to die. I lay on the side of the road, bleeding out. The ambulance was seven minutes away, and I had five minutes left to live. And everyone says that when you're dying, your life flashes through like your eyes. But it doesn't. What flashes through your memory and through your mind is every reason you wish you were a better person, every regret you have, every reason you want to live and like have a second chance. All the times you were a bad person and wish you could have done it differently. Because at 22, you grow up really quick in that moment. And I guess for me that I made a deal with life, God, fate, the universe, whatever is the bigger purpose that if I got a second chance, I was going to live this life the best that I could and really just push the limits. 
And lying there on the side of the road, I had someone put a tourniquet in my leg, and that bought me the extra few minutes that got the ambulance to me. I was in shock at the scene, didn't really know what happened, there was just blood everywhere, looking down at my leg and pretty open and mangled bones everywhere. And yeah, that's pretty horrific even now to think back to the ambulance got there and a second ambulance turned up. They left one of the ambulances at the scene and I had two crews working on me. I then got transported to the hospital and I heard them saying cancel the ho- uh, helicopter at the scene, like the helicopter wasn't going to get there in time, I wasn't going to make it. Um, they rang my parents to tell them to come meet me at the hospital and had to come say the goodbyes. So I was bleeding out in the ambulance, they had a tourniquet on my leg and they had one of the ambulance officers had her hand inside my leg, actually physically like time from the artery. And even then I was just wouldn't stop bleeding. Um, I got to hospital with three liters of blood left in me. Overnight, I then had eight surgeries. So I died three times on the operating table. Wow. Um, so yeah, coming out of that was a pretty big transformation from riding home for a month off. Yeah. So I have like goosebumps, <laughs> uh, from hearing all of that. And I, I literally can't even imagine what that must have been like for you at that time, you know, being 22 in the Navy, being completely able-bodied. How did you feel like when you found out that they had to amputate? So I was in a coma for 10 days, like my body shut down, my kidneys had failed. So I didn't actually find out at the time. My parents actually had to sign off on that decision. Initially, it was the hardest thing to actually deal with. I was a young, fit, active guy, sport with my life. Like, it had always been extreme stuff, skydiving, wakeboarding, snowboarding, traveling every second I got to go and do yeah. stupid adventures. And that was taken from me. So obviously the physical body is so important, but the mental as well is equally as important. In that moment, 22, laying in bed, not being able to move, you know, you must have been in a dark place. What did you do to bring yourself out of that? So initially, I didn't want to be alive. I was extremely suicidal. I was in such a dark place. During the day, you had visitors just flooding your room and you would be happy and chirpy, like doing a faint smile, telling everyone how good you're doing. But then at night, the demons started creeping in. The PTSD, um, which I still have, um, started being brought up and you started having all these nightmares, no sleep, and you just didn't want to be alive. My captain at the time put me in touch with Audi Galder, who is the Navy clearance diver that lost his arm and leg in the shark attack in Sydney Harbour. And after I started researching Paul and having a chat with him, he told me what is actually possible. I realized that if he can do it with one arm and one leg, then I can probably achieve some similar things. And Paul told me that people are going to tell you what you can and can't do for the rest of your life. That in order to actually be able to do it, you need to push the boundaries. When people say that things aren't possible, that's when you need to start actually putting the effort in. And for me, that's really set me up and it's been a like model that I've now lived the last five years by. So what I started doing is I started then, well, like later on when I got out of hospital, it was then the physical side. It's that I related that mental health and as soon as I had a bad day or my mental health was bad, I would then find some ways to train. Early on in hospital, it was resistance bands and I could just be like pull downs in my hospital bed. And then it was documenting those little baby steps. My mum said at the time, which I mean, mum's advice is normally right. Yes. <laughs> is write down everything that you've achieved that day. So on those days that you feel like you didn't do anything, you then have a journal that's saying, look, on this day, I managed to brush my teeth. On this mm-hmm. day, I managed to sit up for the first time. 
And slowly I started weaning myself off the painkillers with the help of my surgeon. And as soon as I reduced all the painkillers, I was able to start fighting again. I felt like myself. I was able to do things. And then it was then setting those benchmarks and goal setting that I could be like, all right, in a month I'm going to walk. In three months I'm going to run. And although they were extremely unrealistic goals, I had something <laughs> to focus on. Um, I yeah. was determined on how to get back into full service in the Navy. And I was asking those questions from the first week. That was one of the first questions I asked is how do I get back to work? That if you have that victim mentality, you're going to set yourself up to fail. You need the attitude of a victor and you need someone to do early intervention like Paul did for me. Be able to say, look, mate, this is possible. You've just got to put the work in. Mm-hmm. And it's almost giving you that initial motivation to then take the steps and build the procedures on how you activate that in your own life. I absolutely love that. And you did have all of these big goals to run again, walk, go back to the Navy. Have you kicked these goals? I have. Um, so I, it took me a while and I wasn't able to put a prosthetic on for six months due to mm-hmm. the extent of the fractures in my leg. Um, so it actually took a long time. But then I started going, okay, well, if I can't walk, what can I focus on? So uh, after three months when my neck and my ribs healed up, I was back in the gym. And I was able to train and I was box jumping and lifting more than most people. And there was the mental health side is that like when you're in public, you're in a wheelchair covered in scars. Um, I lost 25 kilos. So I was pretty bloody skinny at that time. Mm -hmm. And people stare at you like, and you feel like an absolute freak. Where in the fitness community, you're in the squatting more than someone with two legs. People are looking at you like you're a freak because of a whole different reason. Yeah, and where yeah. I, was, I was struggling to even exist in society and work, I was in such a bad place mentally. But I just threw myself into these fitness goals and these challenges and seeing how far I could physically push my body, that I was able to punish my body in my own way. And it was almost like a stick reward by being able to train as hard as I could despite all my injuries. And I got a reward out of it, which was my body got stronger. Did you end up going back to the Navy? Um, I did end up going back to the Navy. I passed all the tests, went back to fully redeployable, and then I was transferring over to become a Navy physical trainer. Um, unfortunately, I tortured my body a fair bit, and I had a lot of setbacks, the second amputation. I had another six surgeries after the initial eight, and I just couldn't get back to the job I was doing. I was able to do it, but the pain wasn't worth it. I think I just had too much on, and I was so determined not be disabled, that I set yeah. myself up to fail in that respect. It's that I didn't take care of my mental health. I completely ignored it, told everyone it was fine. Like, the young male refused to acknowledge <laughs> that I had PTSD and that I had mental health issues. Everything that you've accomplished is such an inspiration to anyone else. They might not be an amputee, but anyone else that has those self-doubts, you have proven that your mind is incredibly strong and anything you put your mind to, you can accomplish it. And I think you are the definition of that. I think the thing is, especially with society these days, is we're weak. Um, Our mind frame is weak. We always want the easy way. We want the quick fix, the quick way to lose weight. We're scared of hard work and your body isn't going to break. We're scared to actually push those limitations and see what's possible. And a lot of the time the mind gives up before the body does. And doing things like all these challenges and the 24-hour obstacle races, it's that 12 hours in, your body's already gone. You've got no energy left. Your body's broken. I'm trying to get around the course in the middle of the night, tripping over things with my prosthetic. And you see that everyone else stops to sleep. Everyone's like, no, I'm tired. But in situations like that, I'm able to push. I'm able to see how far I can take my body, how far I can push my mind. 
And by making yourself extremely uncomfortable in situations like that, you actually can train your body and your mind to be 100% strong. Yeah. And do you have any like, uh, you know, sort of rituals or routines that you do when you're training? Like, do you meditate? So recently this year, like a month ago at the Paralympic trials, my training partner introduced me to meditation. Mm-hmm. And my meditation's always been at the gym, always been like training the iron paradise. Like you're having a bad day, you go lift weights, you feel better. And doing the mindfulness work and actually acknowledging the feelings that they come up, I found was really helpful. I still struggle with a lot of self-doubt, a lot of negative self-talk, because that's how I motivate myself. And it's not the healthiest way, but mm-hmm. when you're there in the middle of a supper fest, absolutely dying, your body feels like it's broken, there's just so much pain, you ask yourself how much you want it. Like, why did you get the second chance when so many people didn't? How many people have helped you get to the step? The people that have helped me fundraise for all the legs to get to this. I'm wasting their time and their money if I give up. And I kind of reflect on that and I use that negativity to turn it into a positive motivation. And if you achieve it, you feel like you've like won the lottery. If you fail, then it's a bit harder to deal with. But at the same time, failing isn't the worst thing. You learn each time you fail. Definitely. I think you really do. I think everyone fails. Like, you know, we're only human. It's going to happen. But I think if we can, again, change that mindset and use that failure as a learning curve, then it's a great way to succeed in life. Now, I want to talk about you put yourself in the spotlight and you were on Ninja Warrior. Yes. Talk to me about (laughs) this. Um, I guess the similar thing is that, you know, you're going to fail. Yeah. And it's an extremely hard thing to do that you're not just failing in the prime, you're failing in a race where a few people might see you drop out and not able to do it. You're putting yourself on an international platform to fail on national TV. Mm-hmm. And that was always at the back of my mind is that what happens if I go on TV, I fall on the first step, make an absolute idiot out of myself. And everyone laughs and said, why does this guy get the shot? The year before, I think it was season one, I saw a Paralympic swimmer, his name Sam that did it and I saw him fall on the second obstacle and I'm like, I reckon I can be better than that. I've been doing obstacle <laughs> course racing, I've been training with ninja stuff, like mucking around, having a bit of fun. Uh, so I sent in my application and like, yeah, sweet, send a video in. So I did that and she, I'm not going to get in, like come to the trials. And, okay. But I did some chin-ups, pull-ups, I did all the application, which I won't say what's involved, but it's good fun. So I rocked up with like no serious ninja training. I had no idea what I was doing. And then I found myself with all the cameras lights pointed at me and I was like a fish out of water. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? So I went through season two and it was a pretty good reaction. And what I found, it wasn't like everyone like, oh, you're such an inspiration, Mm -hmm. but it was all the kids that I found reaching out with disabilities. And on TV, you don't see people with disabilities Uh, doing all these challenges, these courses. You don't see people represent the minority group. So I was able to be that, like, pretty much on the pinnacle for people that this is what you can do. Um, I would go and train kids with disabilities. I would go and, like, hang out with them, talk to them, show them what's possible. So when they asked me to apply for season three, I was like, yeah, sure, I'm going to take this seriously. So I did a lot of training for that and actually took it bloody seriously. (laughs) And I got a lot further and I really tested myself. And, again, I got a lot of feedback and I was like, all right, season four, this is going to happen. But I had to have surgery for season four. My leg was pretty much destroyed. I had a nerve that was trapped between my two broken bones and I was in a lot of pain. The day of the trials, I actually, I was still in a wheelchair, still in my stitches in, and you still have to do the physical 
blood trials each day before you actually do the calls to make sure you're still at the level of fitness. So I had to grip my teeth and actually push through that, pulling all my stitches. I was bleeding while I was doing it. Oh, you pushed and, through. Yeah, I managed to get my shot on the show. I couldn't walk. I had stretched myself so thin that mm. I was in a pretty bad place mentally. What you saw on the course last year was me walking up the steps, and that was like the first time I'd walked since my surgery. And then I went into the course, and obviously I didn't get as far as I should have. My body failed me. But it was a big learning curve for me that you need to actually look after your body. It's that I can't just keep pushing it and expecting it to achieve 100%. Besides that, I hadn't done any mobility work, hadn't done any physio. I completely neglected everything and just went, you know what, I'm a big matcher man. I don't need any of that stuff. So it was a good learning curve for me to actually go, do you know what, you're not bulletproof. You can't keep like, trashing your body and expecting it to perform. Um, yeah. So then when they asked me to come back for the season this year, I actually turned it down. Mm-hmm. I've achieved what I needed to with Ninja Warrior in those first three seasons. And, yeah. now and you're focusing, listening to your body. I'm listening to my body. I'm focusing on the Paralympics, which is a much bigger goal. Yeah. It's not, instead of extending myself and trying to do everything, I'm actually picking and choosing what I do, but enjoying the quality of it. Yeah, and I think that saying no is really hard to do. Oh, it is. <laughs> uh, I even think back to when I was, you know, working in kids TV and, you know, doing one million things all the time. I would say yes to everything. And I actually like ran myself so thin and ran myself into the ground that I ended up in hospital because I was so unwell because yeah. I was just like, yes, I can do that. Yes, 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 yes. But then it turns out like you don't actually do a good job at, you know, what you actually want to do because yeah, you're like just... 80% and everything, Claire. Yeah, yeah. So I think that it is so good of you that you have learned. Yes, you ended up back in hospital and not well again, but you took that situation and you learned from it. And I also think that it's really special, you know, that all the kids were reaching out to you. What sort of things did you end up doing and working with them with? There's one little boy in particular, Max. So it's not so little now. I think he's just turned 14. Mm-hmm. And Max's mum reached out to me. She's like, look, this is my son. He's seen your Ninja Warrior. And Max has a list of things to make or she'd pay for that to bring with him. Born without a spleen, he's had four strokes by the age of seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the left side of his body doesn't work. Uh, he's in a wheelchair, a feeding tube, can't breathe properly. He's had a hard life. I mean, I look yeah. at what I've gone through and this kid's gone through about 10 times more by the time he's seven. It's just like he doesn't think he's able to do anything. He's limited by his own potential. And before we actually get to do anything, he just said, I can't do it. Is there mm-hmm. any chance you could make a video and actually like have a chat with him, show him what you do? And I was in Brisbane at the time visiting my brothers. I was like, actually, you're like 15 minutes away. Do you mind if I just come around? We'll have a chat. So I went around, had a chat with Max, and we hung out for a bit, played some PlayStation. And I got to show him how I trained my body on one leg. And then he, like, there was a transformation then. I think a similar way to what Paul did to me, I was able to do the Max. And then a few days later, his mum showed me a video and he was in like out of his wheelchair in a doctor's waiting room and he was doing single-legged squats with his walking stick. And like that video then kind of melted my heart. Like, yeah, I was going to say, how does that make you feel? Because you are inspirational. Yeah, look, <laughs> I think some of the things I do could be seen as inspiration. But for me, I just <laughs> see myself as an ordinary person. I'm not special. I'm, I've taken the worst situation that can probably be thrown at me and I'm turning it into a positive is that mm-hmm. I'm so much tougher, stronger because of it, but a much better person. But I also have to deal with all the demons that comes with that. 
Yeah. And if these situations, like with Max, can give me a purpose for fighting on the bad days, it's like that's what matters to me is that if I'm here and I'm going to suffer for the next 80 years with my body trash, then I'm going to do it and make as much difference as possible. You know, I think that a lot of people, they don't know, but, you know, you had your accident when you were 22, but there are still so many complications that you go through day to day. So obviously physically, but also mentally, is there something that you do every single day to get you in a good mindset? Like Uh, For me, it's routine. So I think a really big learning curve for me is that I was so busy, like I was saying, with Ninja Warrior. And like around that period, I had, when I left the Navy last year, I had all these things set up. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start this veterans fitness program. I'm like going to the Invictus Games in the Netherlands. I do power canoe. And I was like, all right, these are the things I'm going to focus on. And then Corona happened and <laughs> everything fell apart. All the yeah. objectives I had, all the challenges that I'd set for myself that year to be able to transform from the military which is all i've known as an adult to a civilian fell apart and i turned into a really unhealthy place um i've always battled alcohol addiction pretty bad um i was drinking way too much to be healthy mm-hmm. not leaving the house because i didn't have to um i was getting a paycheck through my medical pension just for lying metal playing yeah. computer games and i was in such a dark place and i realized it was because of left like i lost my routine Mm-hmm. And that was one of the biggest cues for me is to realize that I'm someone that needs the structure and I need the routine. And it wasn't until my partner threatened to leave me because I wasn't taking care of myself. It's that I needed to put these steps into place. So now I get up, I train six days a week. Sundays, I allow myself to rest. So by <laughs> Saturday afternoon, I'm absolutely trashed. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, balance. So, <laughs> yeah, I get up at 4 a.m. every morning. I go and train. I then go to the gym. I come home, have food. It's setting yourself up for the week. So like you're setting yourself up with the goals. You know what you need to do, writing down lists to make sure that this is what I need to do on these days. There's constant setbacks. So on the days when I'm having setbacks, like that means that, okay, well, I can't put the work in like on the water, but I can put it in the gym. So doing extra long gym sessions and you just find these healthy coping mechanisms. It's talking about it, not sitting there stewing at home. If you find that, hey, look, I can't leave the house today, say I'm going to go outside for 10 minutes and see how you feel. Yeah, I was was going to ask about that. How important is it to have a support network around you? Yeah, so mental health, especially as males, we bottle everything up. We don't talk about it. We tell everyone we're Mm -hmm. fine. It's so much easier to put on a fake smile on your face, put a social media post up saying how good you're doing, instead of actually saying, hey, guys, I'm not that great today. So for me, I've got a psychologist um, that I see every two weeks. And even though some weeks we go there and it's just a chat because I'm feeling pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, I know that I've got that in place for the times that I'm not feeling good that I can just call her up and say, Maddie, I need some help. It's letting people in your life know when you're having good days, letting them know when you have bad days. It's documenting it. So if you've noticed you've had like a few bad days this week, try and then do some mindfulness and figure out what is causing this. Because generally there's always some underlying reason of what's actually causing it. It's not that you're just having a bad few days. It's something's triggering you whether it's financial stress that you're not performing in your sport. And it's being able to have people you can talk to. Like my partner, we're completely open with mental health. She struggles with her own mental health battles, as do I. Mm -hmm. So having someone that actually understands what it's like when you're having those bad days, that you might need a bit of extra space or you might need a bit more compassion and empathy that you haven't done the dishes today. Like (laughs) it could be little things like that. But having someone that understands means everything. 
Um, but yeah, having that support network, like you need it, whether it's friends, family, professionals, like you can't get through this life with mental health issues without a support network. Yeah. And I think that it's not as taboo anymore. People are talking about it. I feel like, yes, social media still has that sort of stigma of everyone posting the perfect life and they're happy all the time. Uh, But I also think that people are sort of trying to step up and be more authentic. Yeah, I think as a social media influencer, which I don't class myself as that, <laughs> but someone with a social, <laughs> quite a decent social media profile. Uh, the negative posts that I put up about my life is that when I'm struggling or when I'm actually not doing so well or mm-hmm. what I've done to overcome that. I've had so much more post engagement out of those posts than I have with like, here's me paddling a boat doing another amazing stupid challenge. And people are like, yeah, sorry, that's just Mark being an idiot doing another challenge. But the ones that you actually put up and you're raw and you're genuine and have heartfelt emotion get people then reaching out and sharing a piece of them and they're the ones that actually you go okay look I'm doing something for a reason here yeah do you find that it helps when you do put posts up like that like does it help you I think it does um (laughs) I think um so I think a lot of it it kind of almost feel like a fake it's that if you're not doing so well and you're just putting up all this positive stuff on social media you're like am I really doing the world a favor here am I telling everyone that you put me because I see everyone else putting up these posts and I'm like, surely that life can't be that great. And I know people probably did the same thing to me and other people with disabilities, able-bodied people that are going through these struggles. Yeah. They need something they can relate to. So I think by putting up these but negative posts, I'll call them, um, it helps everyone. It helps yourself to go, Do you know what, that this is the truth. If you're not being honest with yourself, then you're not really doing yourself any favors. Yes. And I love that point. This year, uh, I posted that I had Crohn's disease and I hadn't shared. Uh, I was diagnosed three years ago and I always wanted to post about it, but I just felt, I didn't know what it was. Like I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to manage it myself. So I wanted to have that understanding before I put it out there on social media because it invites all of this other energy in. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure that you would feel this as well because I had s- hundreds of people writing to me, sharing their own stories and people who hadn't been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease but saying that, oh, these are my symptoms, what should I do? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, go and get checked. Like, don't. And then so I was I'm like, I feel like I've got a, I feel like I'm, you know, had a responsibility. Do you feel it as well? Like, you know, so many different energies, you need to almost – be ready to take that on if you are going to post a vulnerable post or, you know, be real. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a lot of the times, especially with mental health, you have people that mm. are really quite low or in such a terrible place and they're like, look, I've been thinking about ending it, but do you have any tips on how I get through this? Like, firstly, go and get help. Like, yeah. I'm not here to be a counsellor, a support worker, because I'm not trained to do that. What I can tell you is how I've done it how I've got myself out of it, what I use as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. and hopefully that helps you. But we're all individuals. Our brands are also like independent and unique. That You need to find a way that resonates with you. And yeah. if some of the stuff I'm saying helps, then use it. If not, then like, build that platform for yourself and your own support network. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, sometimes, you know, like, especially if you're not in such a good place yourself, sometimes it's hard to be compassionate. Yes. It's that, like, as much as you want to be a good person and a nice person, when you barely have the energy to get out of bed in the morning and you're trying to lift another 20 people up to 
get through their lives and their own issues and thought them through, it can be quite draining. And I think you need to be in a positive mind frame and mindset to be able to actually help other people before you can help yourself. Mm, I completely agree with that. And can we talk more about Invictus Games? Yes. All right. The Invictus Games were invented by Prince Harry or the former Prince Harry. And then they've been going now. I think we've had five Invictus Games. It's almost like the military Paralympics. And you get, well, a lot of the time you see the worst of the world. We get to see the best of the world and Invictus. For those two weeks, you're no longer disabled, you're normal. You get to like see what it's like going into a sold-out stadium for 8,000 people with everyone screaming your name. It's like the pinnacle of sport for most people. Like, they don't get to see like any other times. People like myself, we have an opportunity at the Paralympics, but if you have a back injury, an ankle injury, PTSD, you never get to see that side of things. Um, and yeah, you get to see just amazing things. There's people missing both arms, both legs, like in swimming races. And these people like have never swum before, like since losing but the limbs. It's like beams coming together. And it's not so much that your country is against each other, because of course when we get on a rugby court and wheelchair rugby, like you're trying to murder each other. Um <laughs> I know. You took me to play wheelchair <laughs> rugby and I think I screamed my lungs out the whole time saying, Don't pass me the ball, don't come near me. <laughs> <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> I think what's most important is it's what happens off the court. It's building those networks, the friendships you get. You all understand that you've all been through hell together. Mm-hmm. And for me, like the Invictus Games was that vision. It's what got me out of bed every morning to train. And it was that massive goal that I wanted. And I didn't get to go to the 2017 Games because I wanted me to focus on my career, which was fair enough. Um, yeah. But then 2018 actually got a chance to represent. And like, you can't even explain it or put it into words. Eh? Um, it was just the best week of my life. It was, I think it really transformed me. I got a chance to show people that I'm not just a disabled person, that I'm able to achieve so much more. But then I also got the platform to actually talk about mental health. And mm-hmm. most mornings I couldn't get out of bed because my mental health was that bad. The sport healed me. It gave me an opportunity to do something more than just feel sorry for yourself. And I think we really saw that healing power of sport through Invictus. And we're going to keep seeing it. Hopefully, if we get to the Netherlands next year, I want one more shot of Invictus and then I'll, I'll move on to the Paralympics. And what's it like you know, being a part of the ASICS Sound Mind, Sound Body crew? Um, so I joined the um, SMSB crew three years ago. And it was daunting coming in with a disability. It's that I didn't know if I was going to be the token disabled guy or if I couldn't keep up. Um, luckily for me, one of the first activities we did was parkour, which I've done a lot of with Ninja Warrior. So I kind of got to show straight away that I'm not the person with a disability. But the team is just full of individual people that have like the best of the best. Like if you think about the team, you can't pick one person on there that you not completely in love with. Uh, it's yeah. just amazing personalities. Like everyone has their own stories. They come from different walks of life, different sports. But we come together and it's just this magic. It's this energy within the team that we're able to like work with each other, feed off each other's energy. And we achieve pretty amazing things each time. Talk to me about uh, what does sound mind, sound body mean to you? On a personal level, it's in relation to my mental health and also my body's health. 
It's that you are this whole being. And if you focus on one, the other then fails. So you need to focus on yourself as a whole. It's that by making sure that your body is physically strong, you're working on your mental health. Working on your mental health allows you to push your body further. And it's this connection like this yin and yang between the two, the push and the pull. It's that you need to make sure that you're working on everything. It's that if you focus on being absolutely massive in the gym, you're probably not focusing <laughs> on everything else. So for me, it's being, being okay with not being okay. Mm. It's that you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be okay with yourself at that current time. Yeah. And do you have any advice for anyone who, you know, might be going through a pretty big change in their life? Uh, something might have dramatic had happened to them or maybe they're just struggling mentally. Change your perspective. Like, if you sit there and think about it from your own perspective, like, if I look at my story on a piece of paper, is that someone else took my leg? Is that I've gone through 16 surgeries? Is that I have to find half a million dollars worth of prosthetics? Is that I have that many medical setbacks, that much psychological damage from this? Pretty rough. If you look at it, that I have so many amazing opportunities, I've met so many awesome people, I've got to experience things that people only dream of experiencing. It's about flipping your mindset. It's about creating little opportunities. If you can get out and go for a walk, you might meet someone to go for a walk with, and that might then create a lifelong friendship. And it's just trying to give yourself the opportunities to heal. Instead of being stuck in that certain situation that you're stuck in and feeling sorry for yourself and being the victim, it's changing up what you think of yourself. It's making positive changes to get out there and live life again. Life's not that bad. I absolutely love that. And Mark... What's next for you? What is the next goal that we're working on? Um, one of them is definitely being able to run again. I really miss running. Running was always a big coping mechanism for me. And I haven't been able to run in almost two years. I had a couple of surgeries and getting back into a prosthetic leg. So every time I have surgery, I need a new socket and that's $7,000. And for me, being able to actually run is great for my mental health. Yes, it hurts, but it's amazing. So that's one of my goals but uh the main goal at the moment is apparently 2024 my life at the moment is kayaking i get up i train i eat for that sport you eat for that fuel the nutrition and i'm in such a great program that's supportive of all of me my mental health my sound body and my sound mind it's that i've got such an amazing team around me that i'm extremely grateful for all the help and the support that i've had to get here so i'm hoping i get the show of 2024 because the chance to go to the paralympics Although, if you're a told 10-year-old Mark that that's going to be his future, no one dreams of going to the Paralympics, everyone wants the Olympics, but this is like the hand I've been dealt and I'm using it for the best I've got. Mark, thank you so much for chatting with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time out and, you know, it's, it's not always an easy road. Things take time and as much as I know you don't like it, <laughs> thank you for being an inspiration to absolutely everybody. Thanks, Diggs. Harrowing, but also so inspiring. The epitome of resilience. What a wonderful man. Mark, all the best in your preparations for the 2024 Olympics. You can find all that Mark and I spoke about in the show notes. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories. You can also check us out at our webpage at asics.com. I'm Tegan Nash. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week, Mitch Stark and Alyssa Healy are Australian cricketing royalty. They also happen to be married. 
to each other. But Mitch and Alyssa are sports mad and very competitive. You've got to have some sort of drive to to be able to compete at the top level for, for over 10 years. And I think we're just two really competitive people that really enjoy, you know, stepping over that white line and and going out there and competing for, for Australia, for New South Wales. But you won't hear them talking shop at home. However, golf seems to feature very heavily in this couple's sound mind, sound body story. We play way too much golf, so for us, that's a, that's a bit of an escape. It's something that we both enjoy, which is great to have together. And we're probably as competitive or slightly more competitive at, at golf as we are at cricket, yeah. Join me, Tegan Nash, to hear my chat with Mitch Stark and Alyssa Healy Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from.